My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that his word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of his word would point you to him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. You may be seated. So mothers, we're all dressed up for you, I hear, this morning. I didn't... um, I actually didn't know about this until last night, and uh, I had this panicky feeling when I drove up this morning, what if they were playing a joke on me? You know, what if all this was just about getting me in a suit? The first person I walked into up this morning said, uh, who died? Uh, it's about the only time I wear a suit, so uh, moms, this is for you. You have given us your best, and uh, we want to give you, we want to honor you today by giving you our best, and um, you didn't get the word, there is also a chocolate fountain. It's going to be out there between services. Uh, It's for mothers only. I got to thinking about that and I thought, so here's our gift to you. You get to indulge in chocolate-covered goodies while you explain to your five-year-old why they can't have any. (laughs) Actually, I think the idea is that husbands, you're to go get the kiddos while your wife indulges, and you get to do the explaining, right? Uh, so, God, uh, uh, ladies, we want to honor you today. We do honor our mothers. In fact, I want to take a moment before we get into the message just to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I'm going to ask you this morning, if, if you're a mother, if you would, just to stand. And I just want to pray a prayer over you. And uh, I will ask the rest of you to join me as we pray. And, and I do want to remind us of this. Mother's, is a day, Mother's Day is a day where we honor and bless our mothers. Um, but we need to recognize that it's also a painful day for some people for various reasons. Uh, some are would-be mothers who are not. Some have lost mothers. Some have a strained relationship with mothers or child. Um, and so we want to also pray a prayer of comfort and blessing on those who find this day difficult. So would you join me right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of motherhood. We thank you for the treasure of each of those who are standing right now. And Lord, we pray that today, on this day, that each of these would be just covered in your grace. That each one would know how valuable she is to you. Where it's so often, we said it two weeks ago, mothers can sometimes be, or last week, uh, mothers can sometimes be the most underappreciated people on the earth. And today, Lord, we want to make sure that these mothers do not feel underappreciated. Lord, bless them in every way. And Lord, we do pray for those who are here today who, for whom this is a hard day. For whatever the reason may be, For those that are are in pain today, for those who are struggling today, for those who are dealing with heartache, Lord, we ask that you would come around them, comfort them, let them know of their wholeness and completeness in you. Fill them with grace today, in Jesus' name, and we give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. Bless you, mothers. Well, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews, and it's always interesting to me when when we do a book study, when we do a verse-by-verse study of a book of the Bible, 
It's always interesting, you know, to, to kind of see what comes up on these special days. Um, yeah, my original plan was to teach through 5.11, from 5.11 to 6.6. 6. Hebrews 6 is one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. It talks about the whole issue of falling away and the impossibility of being renewed to repentance. Uh, that's a little ominous for Mother's Day, right? So I, I, after a lot of reflection and prayer, I, I decided to just stay with Hebrews 5. We're just going to do Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Uh, we're going to come back to Hebrews 6 next week. But now I need to be honest with you, even just staying with Hebrews 5, um, you know, this is not going to be a, um, it's not going to be a picnic, we, we never have really felt the need, we haven't felt bound to, to, you know, to make, to work our preaching schedule around special days. I mean, honestly, you know, what we're about is to try to get on God's agenda, not the world's calendar. Uh, and so I didn't want to just get away from this, but the more I looked at it, the more I thought, gosh, there's, there's way more, there's plenty here to deal with for one day. We're going to come back to chapter 6 and deal with that next week. So I just want to stay in, in, uh, in, in verses 11 through 14. But I will say this, there's definitely some connections here. I mean, uh, we've talked already about the pattern in the book of Hebrews, which is very obvious, uh, that swings back and forth between word, positive words of encouragement and, and hard words of exhortation. I mean, one minute the pastor is, is encouraging them and comforting them in their difficulty. The next minute he is chastising them or warning them. And if that isn't the life of a mother, I don't know what is, right? I mean, you're constantly going back and forth between the two. I mean, that's the life of a mother for sure. And then there's the title of the message, Grow Up. I mean, those words have been uttered on the lips of every mother in history and sometimes the children, Right? Um, there are some connections here, but I do want to say it, it, it's, these are difficult words. These are hard words. And we've been, you know, we, I've been talking kind of lightly so far, but before we even read the passage, I want to just take a moment because for all of us, but especially for some this morning, what we're going to talk about here today is absolutely vital. It's critical. So can we just pray for a moment before we go any further? Father, we do ask that you would come and speak boldly and clearly to our hearts. Lord, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for the courage to respond. Lord, I pray that as I take us through these verses, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to each of us right where we are. Lord, you know exactly what we need, and now we just give you the freedom. If you can pray that prayer in your own heart, I just want to invite you to do it. Lord, you have the freedom to speak to me whatever you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's read it together. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Short passage, but a packed one. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk being uh, still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, the pastor has just stated that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he would like to elaborate on what that means, but, for, but he takes a, a, a brief detour because of a very frustrating and troublesome situation in this little church. He, he wants to explain it to them, but he says to them, it's hard to explain. Let's be clear now, it's not hard because what he wants to say to them is so complicated or too advanced. He says clearly, it's hard because you are slow to learn. I mean, the fact is, he's going to go right into explaining it in chapter 7. So he's going to explain it. But he's taking a detour to, to challenge him because he says, this is going to be a hard word because you are so slow to learn. He says, by, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teaching this stuff yourself. He's not talking about professional teaching roles or even a spiritual gift of teaching. He's saying, you ought to know this stuff so well that you could explain it well to someone else. And the truth of the matter is, you still need someone to explain it to you all over again. Now, in, in many ways, these four verses sum up the pastor's greatest concern over this little house church somewhere in, in Italy. And that's why I don't want to rush through them. The pastor is torn because on the one hand, they truly are in a difficult situation. They're experiencing genuine persecution and it's getting worse. But on the other hand, he knows that the spiritual danger is even greater than the physical danger because he knows that how they respond will have not just earthly consequences, but eternal consequences. That's why we don't want to rush through this. We want to hear what he has to say. And his chief concern has to do with their ability to hear and obey. To hear and obey. Now, if you hadn't noticed, that is a recurring theme throughout the book of Hebrews. I mean, let me just rehearse this for you very quickly. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What does that say? We have a God who desires to speak. And let me assure us that God does not desire to speak because he wants to hear his own voice. He wants to speak to those who are willing to listen. Uh, We go on into Hebrews 2. The verses, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Just a little later in Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the, uh, during the time of testing in the desert. Again, he's talking about the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea where they're on the banks of the Jordan River with the promise of God lying just on the other side. But because they were not willing to listen to what God said when he said, I have already given it to you. Just go take it. I will do all the work. I'll drive out the enemies. In their fear, they failed to obey and they missed the promise. They missed the promise. Just a few verses later in, verse, in chapter three, fifteen, you see it again. 
As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. When a preacher repeats something, it's because it's important. Because it's important. That's the second time in one chapter it's come up. Uh, We we see in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. What does it mean to combine hearing with faith? It means to obey. We act on what we have heard. It's a constant theme in the book of Hebrews. It goes further. In Hebrews 4, 7, we see it one more time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If a preacher says something three times, it's really, really important. And then finally, Hebrews 5, 8 through 10. Although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for who? Those who obey him. Those who obey him. And, and, the, and the pastor is only reflecting a theme that, that runs through the whole New Testament. This is a resounding drumbeat in the New Testament. Hearing and obedience. Jesus talks about it in, he, in Matthew 7. He's just preached the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He's given them all of this incredible truth and information. But he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the last thing he says in the sermon is this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But the very next passage, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains come, the streams rise, the wind blows, and they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, don't just hear these words. Put them into practice. Live them. Romans 2.13, Paul says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And then James 1, 22 through 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks at at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What he's saying there is that when when we do not act on what we have heard, very quickly it will disappear from us. We will forget it. It will not become a part of our character and who we are. Obedience is what makes the word of God living and active in our lives. Now, why am I spending so much time on that point? Because the literal translation of Hebrews 5.11... I really prefer the New American Standard translation here. The NIV really kind of misses one of the main points. The literal translation in the Greek of Hebrews 5.11 is this. It is hard to explain because you are sluggish in the ears. You are sluggish in the ears. You are slow to hear. 
In other words, he's saying you are lazy in your hearing. You're lazy in your hearing. Uh, By the way, there is a fascinating insight that comes from the Greek that's used in these verses. The Greek word that's translated in verse 11 as ears or hearing is the word akuo. Akuo. I mean, it sounds like one of our words, right? Acoustic. Acoustic, that's a Greek word. Akuo means to hear. But in verse 9, the word obey is actually built on the same root word. It just has a modifier in front of it. It's hupakuo or hyperakuo. What that means is intensive listening. So do you see the connection between hearing and obeying? I mean, we can't obey if we don't first hear. But if all we do is hear and not obey, then we miss the whole point. It is when we hear and obey that we move in the direction that God wants us to go. Hearing must lead to obedience or it has no value at all. The two are intimately bound together. And you see, that is the problem with this beleaguered little house church. Instead of listening intensively, which leads to obedience... They have been lazy in their hearing, which leads to disobedience and the failure to grow. The failure to grow. And the tragedy of that is that while they should be strong and mature, they are still spiritual infants. Now, this preacher is a pastor, but he's got a prophetic edge to him as well. Because he has just called them spiritual slugs, And now he's calling them spiritual babies. Spiritual babies. Uh, You know, uh, we got a little prop right here, don't we? He left this up here for me, and uh, it's just really fat. We didn't plan this. Uh, The Lord just provided this wonderful little prop. He says, you ought to be eating meat, but you're still sucking on a bottle. That's his point. He's saying you are spiritually lazy, and your spiritual laziness has led to spiritual infancy. To spiritual infancy. You ought to be adults. You're still babies. And he says that the reason for that, this is really, this is really important. The reason for that, let me just quote the verse. Anyone who is an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. That's a little bit hard to follow. I mean, what what has the one got to do with the other? Well, when we talk about righteousness in the Bible, it can mean one of two things. Righteousness can refer to our right standing before God. But it can also refer, and often does refer, to right living in Christ. It means right standing, but it also means right living. Now, I don't have any doubt that he's thinking of both that they need to mature in their understanding of their standing in God. But he is absolutely clearly saying to them, you must also be focused on right living in Christ. The emphasis, I think, is really on the latter. Um, Now, you know, this is Mother's Day. And mothers love babies, right? Uh, Friday night, last night of prayer week, Pam and I walked in the back. There were only about two people here, I think, and there was a, a, a baby uh, um, uh, seat in the back row. Pam immediately went to the baby seat. Where's the baby? 
I said, well, I hope it's not in there because there's no adults around. Uh, I hope nobody just dropped him off here at the church. Uh, sure enough, there was an adult somewhere with a baby. It was a, it was a grandmama and a mama. It, but Pam just immediately was drawn to the baby. Mothers love infants, right? When they're supposed to be infants. But what about, I mean, can you, can you imagine being all gaga and goo-goo over a 15-year-old infant? Or even a 30-year-old infant? Uh, I I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've got a 30-year-old infant. And it's time for him to grow up too, isn't it? We, you know, infancy is a beautiful thing when you're an infant. But it's not a beautiful thing to stay as an infant. We are meant to grow up. I I mean, this applies not just to, to, you know, to that world, but also to the spiritual world. If you just got saved in the last few months... You are a spiritual infant. I mean, I want you to understand that. You've just begun. You've been born again, right? You are a spiritual infant. Yeah, praise God. We've got some of those folks around here. And I want to say to you, nobody expects you to be a spiritual giant. Uh, And and you you shouldn't expect that of yourself. Sometimes brand new Christians think it's just going to just happen just like that. And all of a sudden, all their struggles and all their problems are going to be gone. Uh, That's not the way it works. We start as infants and we grow into maturity. Or at least that's the plan. That's the desire. If you are a spiritual infant, that's okay. It's a beautiful thing to be a spiritual infant when you're first born again. But if you have been a Christian or you've been hanging around Christianity for 5 or 10 or 20 years... And you're pretty much the same today as you were when you started, when you started. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. There's nothing good about that. It's a tragedy. You know, uh, not only is it a tragedy, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And we're going to get into this more next week. But it is very, very important for you to understand that what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6 is directly tied to what he's saying now. Whatever he means about falling away and not being able to be brought back to repentance is directly linked to this refusal to grow. If you miss that point, you miss one of the most important things here. Now, we could debate all day long, and, and, and the church has debated for 2,000 years over what exactly that means. Some say, well, they weren't really saved in the first place. Others say, well, they were saved, but then they turned away. You know, there's a lot of disagreement over that, and we're going to get into that next week. But here's what everybody agrees on. Everybody agrees, Calvinists and Wesleyans alike, that only those who persevere are saved. What the Calvinists say is, if you don't persevere, you weren't saved in the first place. What the Wesleyans say is, well, you know, it's possible to to start the journey and not finish it. I, I don't want us to get wrapped up in that debate. The point is, only those who persevere are saved, and both Wesley and Calvin believe that. They were in agreement on that basic fact. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, it is a dangerous thing not to grow. I mean, a lot of people definitely look at this and say, that's really what he's saying, is that these are people who were introduced to the idea of Christianity. They even experienced certain aspects of the Christian life, but they never actually went all the way into salvation, and that's why they fell away when the the fire got hot. 
When the fire got hot, they fell away because they had never truly entered into that place of deep understanding of who God is and what the Christian life is all about. It's very dangerous. Uh, The pastor's whole point here is to warn them of the dangers of not growing up. I mean, you know, we, we rightly laugh about the whole picture of someone who is, is born but never grows up. But I want to tell you that it's really not a laughing matter. There's great danger in refusing to grow, in refusing to grow. We're going to get more into that next week. But I just have to say it here. You cannot miss the connection between five and six. But you want to know what I think is the greatest tragedy of all? The greatest tragedy of all, of the, the greatest tragedy of the failure to grow is that you never experience the fullness of the Christian life. You never get the whole thing. You just get a taste of it. You don't get the, 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 the full experience. And I suspect, uh, I suspect that most people who do not grow in their faith do so for one of two reasons. One of two reasons. The first one is that probably there are many people who, honestly, all they want is fire insurance. It's all they want. They just want to make sure they're not going to hell. But they don't want any more. Just give me my ticket to heaven so that I can go on living my life the way I want to live it. Now, I've already said this. First of all, that's, com- that's a completely unbiblical view of salvation. That's not what salvation is. We'll, we'll talk more about that next week as well. But here's the real tragedy. The real tragedy is the idea that the only benefit of salvation is not going to hell when I die. Can I just say that the greatest treasure of the Christian life is Jesus himself? We get Jesus and we get him now. And we get to enter into a relationship with him in which he does grow sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. The longer we know him, the more beautiful he becomes. The longer we know him, the more wondrous he is. The longer we walk with him, the greater the Christian life becomes. So many people think that Christianity is just about rules and regulations, and they don't understand it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, think for a moment. What would it be like if you had met your spouse, to those who are married, if you're not married, you can think about maybe your dearest friend, But if you had met your spouse when the two of you were infants and that you never grew beyond infancy, what kind of relationship would that be? I mean, there's no relationship there between two infants. I mean, they may accidentally smile at each other when they get gas, right? Uh, But that's about it. I mean, there's no relationship. An infant can't think. An infant can't know. An infant surely can't give, right? I mean, an infant can only take. An infant is completely dependent. An infant does not yet have the capacity to love, to know and be known, to explore the the depths and the riches of love. That only comes in maturity. You don't get that as infants. You get that as you grow. And I just want to say to, to anyone who may have been thinking, you know, I just, I just want to make sure I go to heaven. There is so much more. Heaven can start now because we have Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, the second reason, and it's, it's similar, 
But the second reason is I suspect a lot of people are convinced that growing in the Christian life is more of a burden than a blessing. It's more of a burden than a blessing. I mean, you, you think, well, if, I, if I'm going to grow, I'm going to have to get serious. And if I'm going to grow, I'm going to have to die to self. And dying to self is painful, right? It's hard. I mean, it is. Let's just be honest. Dying to self is hard. But here's what the Word of God says. It is only those who die to self that can experience the fullness of salvation. The truth is, we were not, I mean, what Satan wants you to believe that the Christian life is all about what you cannot do. The truth is, in Christ, the Christian life is all about freedom. Freedom from that which kills, steals, and destroys, and freedom for that which gives life. That which gives life. That's what it's all about. Some of the most miserable people I know are people who are trying to straddle the fence spiritually. They got one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, and they're sitting on that fence. I'll tell you, it is not fun to sit on a fence for very long. And you know what else? Eventually, you're going to fall one way or the other. You're going to fall one way or the other. You can't sit on the fence forever. You're going to fall one way or the other. And, and, and what the Bible teaches is this. It is the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It is Christ who wants to give life in that more abundantly. And so the invitation of the Christian life is not just, I get to go to heaven when I die. It's also, I get the full experience of salvation here in this life. It will not all be easy, and you will not be immune to suffering. But you will discover that in Christ, those things take on a whole new meaning. And you'll discover that when you're in those places, you have a whole new set of resources because Christ is in your life. So I just want to say to us, there, there is no value whatsoever in refusing to grow. No, no reason to stay in maturity. There are so many reasons to move on to maturity. And that is the cry of this pastor's heart. More than anything else, he wants them to grow up, to come into maturity. And he closes the section with three very important points. And I just want to touch on those briefly. He says that those who are mature first of all, have trained themselves. They've trained themselves. Now, uh, again, here's where there's a fine line between recognizing that we, we are not saved by our works, that we can't add anything to our salvation, and going to the other extreme of saying, then I have absolutely nothing to do. Uh, I, just, I just accept what Christ did, and then I just kind of float through life doing whatever I please. You know, Scripture says you can't save yourself and you can't make yourself worthy of salvation. But when you are saved, we are called on almost every page in the New Testament to give ourselves fully to the process of going deeper with Him. And, and I think it's really important here that he says they have trained themselves. Uh, several years ago, there's a, there's a mega church in Chicago, or just outside of Chicago, called Willow Creek. Uh, a lot of people don't like Willow Creek. Um, I'm not here to be a, a, a proponent or a, an opponent of them. Here's what I want to say, though. Several years ago, they did something that was incredibly courageous. They had been living with a certain model of ministry where they were focused on 
finding seekers and then trying through discipleship to get the seekers to grow in their relationship with God. And they had the courage to actually do an in-depth survey of their entire congregation to find out if they were being successful. They actually hired a company to come in, a professional company to come in and survey the church. And you know what they discovered? They discovered they were doing a great job of connecting with seekers. And they were doing a really good job of getting seekers saved. But they were not doing a good job of getting them into maturity. And here was the main reason why. What they kept hearing back from everybody was this. You are feeding us, but you're not teaching us how to feed ourselves. You're not teaching us how to feed ourselves. So what that means is that we are dependent upon you to spoon feed us. I want to tell you that the Christian life and and the maturity, growing into maturity as a Christian, cannot be done in a sprint one hour a week on Sunday. It is something that must be, uh, that we must give ourselves to continually and constantly day by day. We must train ourselves. I want to tell you that every church is probably much more guilty of doing what Willow Creek learned that they were doing than we want to admit. And I do want to say here this morning, it is absolutely our desire not just to spoon feed you, but to help you to know how to feed yourself. That's why we have things like man school and life school and women's ministry, community groups. It's in community groups and in places like I've just said that, that we learn how to feed ourselves. But here's the thing. Ultimately, no one can make you feed yourself. You have to come to a point in your life where you say, I want the whole thing. I want all of the life of Christianity. I don't want to just straddle the fence. I don't want to be, stay in infancy. I want it all. And it, is a, it comes out of a desire of your heart to feed yourself, to train yourself. And then he says that they have done this through constant use, through constant use. I actually got ahead of myself just a second ago when I said what I said, because that's the point here. The point here is this is not something you can do one day a week. This is not something that you're going to get in one hour on Sunday. That's why God has given us the spiritual disciplines of prayer and the spiritual discipline of the Word and of of serving, and of worship, and all the spiritual disciplines that we have. We are meant to engage in those spiritual disciplines on a daily basis so that we will continue to grow. You cannot grow without constant use. And by constant, I don't mean that you are constantly thinking about God or spiritual things. Here's the thing. In God's economy, I want to make this very, very clear, especially to those who are business people. In God's economy, good work is spiritual work. It doesn't have to be spiritual in nature. If you're doing a good work, you're providing for your family. You may even be providing for the families of others. You're contributing to the good of society. It is a good work. When you do that well, you're glorifying God. So I'm not talking about being on your knees all day. But what I am talking about is hearing God's word on a regular basis and determining that I'm going to live according to God's word. That's what takes us into maturity. And the result of that is that we will be able to distinguish between good and evil. You you see the other side of it, right? One of the great dangers of staying in spiritual infancy is that you can't distinguish between good and evil. That's one of the things that maturity brings. It brings discernment. The ability to distinguish between good and evil. God wants you to have that. Because he doesn't want you to be sucked into Satan's lies or his traps. 
He wants you to live boldly. He wants you to live faithfully. He wants you to live abundantly out of the truth of God's Word. And that comes only in maturity. So what's it going to be? So what's it going to be? Are we going to be a community of infants? Or are we going to grow up and grow into the depths of the Christian life? Yeah, I just want to say I'm so grateful for all that God has already done in our body. I mean, we have seen God work in such beautiful ways, and, and, and we have a wonderful community here. But I want to say this morning, I have no doubt, I believe with all my heart that God wants to do so much more. But you know what? He can't take us into the deeper places of the spiritual life if we're still infants. We are only ready for the more as we grow older. See, God is not going to give us more than we're able to handle, more than we're able to understand. He desires to do more, but we must be a people who desire to grow up in Christ so that we can walk in the fullness of who He is and all that He's about. I love the, the message paraphrase of Hebrews 6.1. Here's what it says. It's a transitional verse, by the way, between this passage and where we're going next week. This one links the two passages. And this is what Peterson paraphrases it as. He says, so come on. Let's leave the, finger, the preschool finger-painting exercises and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. Grow up in Christ. I want to ask those who are serving communion this morning, if you will, go ahead and make your way up. Begin to prepare the elements. And as they do, can we just bring up those uh, questions for reflection? As they prepare the elements, I, I want to encourage you to read through and respond to these three questions. Have I truly begun my spiritual journey? Or am I still riding the fence? Or maybe you're even squarely on the other side of the fence. The word of Hebrews over and over and over again is, today, if you hear his voice, respond. Don't harden your hearts. Respond. If there's anybody here this morning who has never begun the journey, you can do that today. There will be people up here behind these altars in just a few minutes ready to pray with you if you want to pray, or you can just pray directly to the Lord. Confess your sins. Acknowledge your inability to save yourself. And ask Him to save you because of what He did on the cross. For others, have I moved on to maturity or am I still in spiritual infancy? And lastly, what is keeping me from growing up? What's keeping me from growing up in the Christian faith? I want to ask you just to give thought to that as you prepare to come. But I'm going to invite all of you now to come and receive Holy Communion. These elements, this bread and this juice, represent the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We invite any of you who are believers to come and take a piece of this bread dip it in the juice and remember that Jesus gave everything for your salvation and not just after you die but right now would you just come and experience his grace in you thank him for what he's done and let's walk in wholeness in Christ come whenever you're ready